Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Since we began in the series, we've been talking about some big picture ideas dealing with growth. Of course, we started in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. We read the verse, may grow up into him in all things. And we looked at that passage and we kind of broke it down and, and saw the different parts of the verse and of the theme as well. And, and we took a look at some other verses as well, deal, dealing with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. If we really are to grow as individual Christians, those of you that are saved, I hope that you have the desire to grow. I hope that you're thinking about it. It doesn't just happen. It, it's got to be purposeful. And I hope that you think about it. I think we all do. We all want to grow. We want to grow more mature. We want to grow stronger as Christians. We want to grow. But if we're going to grow, Jesus Christ needs to be first. He is the vine and we are the branches. And so if we are to receive nourishment and growth and be able to see some wonderful fruit, we've got to place him as first. And of course, we also understand that the plan of God is so that we would grow so that he would receive praise and glory. And so I hope that's the desire of your life as well. Not just so that we could receive some blessings as well, but so that we could uplift our Savior Jesus Christ, knowing that if Jesus is lifted up, that he will draw all men unto him. And so we saw some big picture things. Now we're going to start getting into the nitty gritty, if you will, some more kind of detailed aspects of growing and in all things. And, and this morning I want to ask you this question or propose this to you. Do not underestimate the little things. If you're going to grow, let me encourage you, do not underestimate the little things. You know, if you were to ask, you know, some, some Christians, what are the big things in Christian living? I'm sure you would get a lot of the same kinds of answers, right? Of course, we need to love God, right? That's the, that's the first commandment. That's a big thing, amen? Amen? That's a big thing. That's the first commandment. That's the big thing, right? And we have to love one another as well, right? That's a, that's a big thing. And we know some other things are big things. We know that we ought to be a part of a local New Testament church. If you're saved and uh, you need to be baptized and, and you need to be part of a church, you need to have a church that you could be a part of. That's an important thing. We know that Bible reading is important, right? Getting into the Word, feeding spiritually, that's important. We know that's a big thing. We know prayer is a big thing, amen? We know there's so many verses dealing with prayer, the importance of prayer, the power in prayer, there are some really big things, but there might also be some things in your mind, maybe some things in your life that you would view as a, yeah, it's there. I mean, God has given some instruction, but if you were to be honest, you would view that as kind of a little thing. Maybe it's not a big deal if I skip this. It's not a big deal if I go over there and do that. It's not a big deal if I participate in this. Let me encourage you, do not underestimate the little things. This morning, I want to see, first of all, the right mindset. Because if we're going to grow, we need to have the right mentality. And Paul is encouraging these Christians here in Corinth to 
approach Christian living with the right perspective, to have right thinking. Verse number 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? He said, I'm not telling you anything new here. You, are, you already know this. If you're going to be in a race, if you're going to participate in some sort of athletic competition, everybody runs. Everybody's there. Everybody starts at the starting line together. Everybody ends up at the finish line in some order. And you know there's only one medal, one gold medal that gets handed out, right? And that gold medal only gets handed to the person in first place, right? Is that you know this, right? That's the way that races work. That's the way that competitions work. The one that is in first place gets the prize, they get the trophy, they get the gold medal. He says, you know this. So he says then, so run that ye may obtain. What he's saying is you understand how it works in a race, understand that they, that same principle in terms of our mindset also applies to our Christian life. Hey, if you're saved, you're, you're in a race today, amen? If you're saved, you're entered into the race. You're a part of this race called Christian living. Every one of you is running. And what he's saying is, you Corinthian Christians, you're all in the race already. But you're not approaching the race with the right mentality. You're not thinking about this right. What he's saying is you need to approach this as if, hey, there's only one that's going to that's gonna win, so I want to win. That's the mentality that he's encouraging these Christians to live by. This mentality of really pursuing the prize. Really going for the reward that is at the finish line. You know, when you look at athletes today, it's amazing how much investment they put into really getting their bodies to be in the right place in order to be able to succeed out on the basketball court, out in the baseball field, out on the soccer field, whatever the case might be. Hundreds of thousands of dollars every year they spend on uh, hiring a chef to cook them just the right foods, hiring personal trainers, hiring some medical staff to pay attention to all of their needs. And, and Paul is trying to get these Christians to think right, because if you're going to get the right results that I'm sure all of us are hoping for in the Christian life, we need to have the right thinking. Because right thinking is what will lead to the right results. Because spiritual success doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose. Think about when you go home and you wake up in the morning. And you open up your closet. You open up your dresser drawers. You have all of your clothes there, right? All of your clothes, they're clean right? They're hanging there in your closet. They're folded nicely in the dresser drawers. They are clean. Maybe you've owned them for a few weeks. Maybe you've owned them for a few years, but they're all clean sitting there in the drawer. They're all clean hanging in your closet. Now, how did they get clean? Was it by accident? 
You just happen to see your clothes and say, oh, this was dirty yesterday, and somehow it got clean today. No, it got clean because you purposefully cleaned it, right? You took the clothes, you put it in the washing machine, you put some detergent in, you press start, it got cleaned, you took it out, you put it in the dryer, you pulled it out, and you smelled it, made sure it smelled fresh and clean, and then you hung it in your closet. It happens on purpose. We need to have the right thinking process. Kobe Bryant published a book a few, we, a few uh, years ago called The Mamba Mentality, How I Play. Now, I'm not from the LA area, and I, of course, knew about Kobe, but I didn't really keep that close of a track, but now that I'm here, I've heard about this Mamba Mentality, about the way that Kobe Bryant the game, about the way that he approached playing this sport and his relationship with his teammates and the, and the way that he approached just all the things. And, and uh, I, I was reading this little excerpt from the book, and, and there's a picture of him, Kobe Bryant, as a young NBA basketball player, and right next to him in a Chicago Bulls uniform is Michael Jordan the legendary Michael Jordan. They're playing together, and, and Michael Jordan, he has the basketball in his hand. He's dribbling the ball, and Kobe Bryant's playing defense. And he wrote a few paragraphs. He's, he, he was writing about this picture, and he said, you know, just looking at this, I can see all of the things that I did wrong. Look at the way that Michael Jordan is standing, and, and look at the way that I'm standing, and, and you could tell that just the slightest of the move, I'm just totally off base, and, and he saw that picture, I think, the next year, and he looked at it, and he said, oh, there's some, there's some correction that I need to make. You know, if we're going to have some growth in the Christian life, we need to have right thinking. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. How do we get the right mentality? Well, you get it from God's word. How do you get the right thinking that will produce the results that you're hoping for and looking for? You want blessings in your marriage. You want blessings in your family. You want blessings in your personal life. You want blessings in your church. How do I get that right thinking? You go to God's word. You look at God's word and say, what kind of thinking should I have? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, the word of God was given to us to help us to get some right thinking. You know, because it's easy for us to slip into wrong thinking, amen? Right? It's easy for us to excuse some things in our life. It's easy for us to overlook some things in our life. And it's easy for us to lose that right mentality. And so we go to God's word in order to get that right thinking. Also, surrounding yourself with right thinking people is also important. I heard this quote, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me who you allow to influence you, and I'll show you where you end up. Show me who you allow to, to, to uh, really just be there and uh, the, the, the words and the thinking and the mentality, all of these things just become a part of you. Now, show me who your friends are 
and I'll show you your future. The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I mean, doesn't that just make so much sense? You want to be wise? Go find the wise people and spend some time with them, amen? Right? You want to be wise? Spend some time with some wise people and you'll learn. Oh, this is what it means to be wise. Last week we had uh, Dr. Getch here and I had the privilege of uh, spending uh, just a short time with him at lunch and I was just talking with him and and he's seen so much of the country, had so much experience, and knows so much of the Bible. And it was just a help to him as I, you know, was talking with him and asked a question here or there just to hear his words. I thought, oh, yeah, that's all right. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I need to remember that. I need to remember that in my life. I need to remember that in my ministry. And so if we're going to get some right thinking, we need to go to God's word, and we need to surround ourselves with people who think according to God's word. Now, let me just take this moment to ask you the question, where can you go in this world where you can hear God's word and be around people who try to have godly thinking? Where can you go? It's called the church, amen? Right? You want to have right thinking? People wonder, why do we preach going to church so much? You should go to church every week, every week on a Sunday morning. You should do your best to get to church. Why? Because we want to help you to get some right thinking. We want to help you to surround yourself with some other individuals that will also have that goal of having right thinking. Not just on a Sunday morning. People wonder, why do we have a Sunday night service? Did you know that? We have a night service as well at 5 o'clock. Did you know we also have a Wednesday night service? I get people asking me this question. Is it the same service? It's not the same service. I preach a different message on Sunday nights than Sunday morning. And I preach a different message on Wednesday night than Sunday night and Sunday morning. Why? Why do we have so many services? Can I go to church just once a week? And, and uh, isn't that enough? Well, we have multiple services in order to try to help all of us to get more in line with the thinking that God wants us to have. So we need to have that right mindset, and we also need to have this regard for the minute, paying attention to the little things. Verse number 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, or in control, self-controlled, in all things. Because it's the little things that make the difference. A lot of you would know that I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. I enjoy watching sports. I enjoy reading about sports. I enjoy watching the highlights of what happened. And last week was a very big game, right? The Super Bowl. The biggest game. The most watched show on television in America every single year is the Super Bowl. Almost 100 million people watched the Super Bowl this year. But sports are funny. Because, of course, you have the game. You have the Super Bowl, right? It's like three, four, whatever, at most five hours. But there's a show before the game. It's called a pre-game show, right? And in this pre-game show, they talk about the game that you're going to watch. And then you watch the game, and then you have a post-game show that talks about the game that you just watched. 
Now, if you're not a sports fan, that seems ludicrous. Why would we have a show to hear about the game that's just about to happen? What's the point of that? Just watch the game. And then why do you have a show after the game to talk about what you just watched? You just watched it. Why do you need somebody to talk about it? But you have these big pre-game shows for hours on Sunday before the Super Bowl. They have these shows, pre-game shows. If you're not a sports fan, you, have, you, may, you may not have any idea of what goes on. And you may wonder, how can you talk about a game for six hours in a row? Not only that, people are talking about the Super Bowl for the two weeks before it even happens. Every day they talk about the Super Bowl. Monday they talk about the Super Bowl. Tuesday they talk about the Super Bowl. Wednesday. What are you talking about in all of these days? All of this time, what could, you, what could possibly come out? Now, if you just have like five minutes to talk about the game, you talk about, well, here are the three keys for this team. If they're going to win the game, this is what they need to do. These are the three things they need to focus on. And if this team's going to win, there, here are three keys over here. These are the things that they need to do in order to win the game. But if you've got five hours... What do you talk about? You know what you talk about in five hours? You talk about the little things. In five minutes, you talk about the big things. Oh, you're really good at this. You need to keep doing that, and you need to do well. This team over here, they're really weak, and so they need to take advantage of this. If they do that, they're going to win the game. After you're done talking about the big things, you know what they do? They start talking about the little things. Hey, hey, watch out for this guy. He doesn't play very much, but he's going to get out there sometimes. And if he gets a chance to make a big play, that could really turn the whole game around. If you watch the game highlights afterwards, there's a few very important times where just one guy made one mistake and it totally changed the outcome of the game. It's interesting, a week ago or two weeks ago, there was a lady on a Saturday morning that was pulled over in front of the church and just pulled out onto that street just on the side. And uh, I pulled into the, into the church, and then I, I made my way over there and was talk, you know, talking with her, you know, uh, is your car okay and everything. And, and uh, there was somebody already there that I guess she had called in, and, you know, AAA or something that was coming around. And, and, uh, you know, she said, oh, I'm, I'm okay, you know, and there was already a brother from the church that was already there and just kind of making sure everything was okay. And so I was out there and was talking with her. And then, and then the guy pulled around and he was holding the tire and he was kind of spinning it around. And uh, in that tire was a little hole. Apparently a nail had gotten into the tire, punctured the tire, and I guess when it kept rolling, the nail, I guess, fell out. And there's this little hole that was there in the tire. Just a tiny little hole. I mean, if you had asked me just to look at the tire, I may not have even noticed that there was a hole. But that one small hole stopped the whole car because of one little hole. Don't underestimate the little things. Don't underestimate. This is just a little problem. Sometimes it can bring the whole production to a stop. You know, the Bible gives a couple of verses that talks about this. Solomon, a Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse number 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Now, 
I've never really been to a vineyard. I don't know how vineyards work, but if I were to use an illustration maybe here in this area, here in Gardena, we probably wouldn't use an illustration talking about the little foxes spoiling the vine. We might say something like this. It's the little termites that bring down the house. Right? Just these tiny little termites. You get these little termites that are there on the ground. You might not even notice that they're there, but you get termites that are in your walls, you're in trouble, amen? Just a tiny little thing. You're not really worried about bears or raccoons bringing down your house. What is it that's going to bring down the house? It's the little things. Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 30. I went by the field of the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man, void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. He said, uh, I, I was walking out uh, in, the, in the city, and I just saw this field, saw this vineyard that was here, and, and you could tell that the man who owned it just didn't have understanding. And There were thorns all over the place, weeds all over the place. There was a wall that was surrounding the vineyard, just totally broken down. It says in verse number two, then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. You know, there's life lessons everywhere you look. And Solomon is looking at this thing and, and he says, you know what? I learned a lesson here. Verse 33, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. You know what happened to this man? He just said, you know what? I'm just going to take a little break today. I'm going to sleep in just a little bit today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break. I've been working on this vineyard for a long time. I'm just going to stop for a little bit. And Solomon came by months later, years later, and saw the result of that. James chapter 3, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. You know, little words can make a big difference, amen? Just little words. Simple words. Short words. I love you. Little words. They can have a great impact, amen? You know, uh, yesterday at the couples uh, conference, the preacher there encouraged us to repeat a few words. And he encouraged us husbands to look at our wives and say these words, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Little words, right? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Little words, but they can make a big difference. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You get some uh, flour, you get some water, you mix it all together. You put a tiny bit of yeast in there, and guess what? The whole thing is now consumed. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 34, and Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? He's about to feed the 4,000. Jesus is asking his disciples, how much food do you have? How much bread do you have? And they said seven. And a few little fishes. Hey, don't under underestimate the little things. It's not like the, there was anybody there bringing in these huge tuna 
that they caught out in the ocean, big salmon. No, they didn't have any of those things. Just these tiny little fishes that maybe they caught in the Sea of Galilee. Maybe the, the, the little fishes that just happened to get caught and maybe they couldn't sell it for a, little, a lot, so they just sold a little bit. Luke chapter 18, verse number 17. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Luke chapter 19. And he saith unto him, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Do you see how God places priority on little things? The little things can make a big difference. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, it's the little things that will really make the difference. Sometimes it's waking up a little bit earlier and getting to your Bible, opening it, reading some verses in the New Testament and praying. That can make a big difference in your day. Instead of hitting the snooze alarm five times, maybe you hit it just four times, amen? And in those nine minutes where you could just be slumbering there in bed, you get up, you use those nine minutes to get into your Bible and pray. Hey, you know, if you look at the, the Bible reading schedule in your bulletin, you just read that New Testament passage, you can probably read that New Testament passage two minutes easily. So if you take those nine minutes, and you read for two minutes, and you pray for seven minutes, that might seem like a little thing, right? It's just a few verses, just a few minutes of prayer, but that can make the big difference in your day. Hey, you don't know what's coming in that day. You don't know the difficulties that you'll be facing. That might just make a big difference. Sometimes it's just something as simple as, you know what, I'm going to put away my phone for the evening. That could be a big difference. Instead of mindlessly scrolling through social media on the Internet, maybe we could just put it away and just think about, you know what, what did God do for me today? Meditate on his word. Sometimes it's a small decision that can make a big difference. You know, every week we have Life Connection classes immediately after the service. We have a class over there in the fellowship hall. We have another class in that classroom right next to it. Another class outside. and We, we fit classes everywhere here in our, in our church building. It might seem like a little thing. You know, it's just a little class. You know, I came to church. I heard the preaching already. Why do I need to join a Life Connection class? Well... It might just be that if you join the Life Connection class, you just might make a friend there, amen? Amen? You just might make a friend there in the Life Connection class. And that friendship just might make the difference in your Christian life. Maybe when you need some help, you need some encouragement, you might have that friend that is there that could be a help. Maybe there's some teaching there in the Word of God that you really needed this upcoming week or really helped you in the past week. Sometimes it's just a little decision of, you know what, this person said something to me. I know it's not a big thing, but it really bothers me, right? We've all been there, amen? We know it's, it's not a big thing. It shouldn't be a big thing, but we know it still bothers us. Maybe it's a little decision to just say, you know what? If God could forgive me, I could forgive him. You know what? I'm going to move on. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight. No matter how small, let's lay aside those weights and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hey, don't underestimate how big of a difference a small thing could make in your Christian life. Thirdly, what we see then is the received medal. We need to begin with the right mindset. We need to think about things in the right way. We need to regard the minute and really pay attention to the little things because 
there is a reward that is coming. The champion knows what he's running for. And he's writing there in verse number 25 and verse number 26. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. You know, for every Christian that runs the race, there is a crown that is promised. There is a reward that is going to be given to you. When I was growing up, I, I took uh, piano lessons. You know, my, my parents uh, paid for this teacher to teach me the piano. I started when I was uh, five years old, and uh, there were a few gaps here and there, but I took lessons. Sometimes it was a lady from the church who would teach me the piano, and uh, sometimes it was uh, somebody that we knew that taught me the piano. And uh, so uh, when I moved to Seattle when I was eight, I, I, I got a piano teacher, and that was my teacher for the rest of uh, the time that I was taking lessons, basically until I graduated high school. And uh, she would teach classical music. So I was playing classical music, you know, learning the classical songs and playing them and things like that. And every Christmas time, there was a recital. Every recital, we would, you know, go up there, and we would all perform. Every one of the students. You'd have these, like, six-year-old kids that play, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and just, you know, one finger, you know, playing. And it was great. Everybody loved it. Everybody clapped. And, and uh, you know, you'd have the people who played a few more years. And then, and then you'd have, uh, basically, the seniors in high school that had played, like, their whole lives, and they were playing these masterpiece songs. And, and uh, every single year, we, we would have this big performance. Everybody would play. All the parents were there. The kids were all dressed up. You know, these little kids, they would come, like, in suits and have little bow ties. And, and uh, you know, everybody, you know, just uh, really enjoyed watching it. Us as kids playing the piano, though, we were terrified. You know, we really didn't like this recital. There's so much pressure. Everybody's watching us, you know. And, and, uh, but we would go up there, we would do our best, everybody would clap, and we would all come down, and at the very end, the piano teacher would come up and say, hey, you know, we're so thankful for everybody, all of these students, they worked really hard, and then she would ask the students to come up, and she would give out these little trophies. And every year, I, I would go up there, and I would be, yeah, I got a trophy, and I, I, I would grab this trophy, and I would come down. It wasn't until years later that I actually looked at what the trophy said, do you know what the trophy said? It said, basically, this is a participation trophy. And I looked at that and I said, I didn't get this trophy for how well I did. I got this trophy for showing up. I could have been the worst piano player on that stage that day, but I still got a trophy. And I, have a, I had a row of them. Every year, getting a little bigger, you know? And everyone just said participation, for participating in the, you know, 17th annual recital of 2000 or whatever. You know, every year was like that. And that was nice. But it's not the same as a real trophy, amen? One that you earn. One that means first place. Hey, you know, Christian, if you're saved, you get to go to heaven, amen? That's a wonderful thing. And that's great. But did you know there are crowns to be won? 
Did you know that there are rewards that will be given? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Every little thing that you do will be rewarded. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know what God is saying? Hey, every little thing matters because every little thing will be rewarded. Every little word of kindness that you made on purpose. You know what? There's this person, maybe they were having a bad day and they didn't say the nicest things to me, but I responded in kind. I forgave that person. I went out of my way to encourage this individual. Every little thing that you do will be rewarded. Everything that you do when you get to heaven, there's going to be a reward for you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now this is Paul that is writing. This is Paul the Apostle. We would expect Paul the Apostle to get a, a, an award, amen? We would expect him to win maybe the biggest of crowns if that's how it works up in heaven. But you know what the Bible says? Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I'm glad that the Christian race is not a competition amongst each other. Amen. Did you know we all can win the crown? We all can win the prize. There's a crown that is promised. Also, this crown that, that God will give us, it's a perpetual crown. The verses that we read, I, uh, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. You know, in the original Olympic Games, of course, we have the Olympic Games that goes on every four years in the summer, and every four years in the winter, there's a Summer Olympics uh, this year in Japan, the 2020 Olympics here in L.A. In eight years, there's going to be the Olympic Games here in L.A. And, uh, of course, you all know that it's kind of modeled after the original Olympic Games there in Greece, you know, millennia ago, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And uh, today, if you win, you get a gold medal, right? If you get in second place, you get a silver medal. If you get third place, you get a bronze medal. Unfortunately, if you're in fourth place, you get the participation trophy. Here you go, right? It's still a great honor. It's still a great accomplishment. The fourth fastest man in the world, that's still a really fast guy. In the original days, they didn't give out gold medals. In ancient Greece, they didn't have gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals. They didn't have any of those things. You know what the winner won? He won a crown. But it wasn't a fancy crown that a king might wear. They would take some branches of some plants and wrap it around in the shape of a crown, and that would be your reward. Might be some ivy branches, might be olive branches. They would, they would cut off these branches and, and wrap it around, and to the winner, they would take this and hand it to the winner. That's what Paul's referencing when he says, you know, these individuals are running in order to win a race, and their reward are some branches wrapped around in a circle placed on your head. And they're giving up their lives in order to win this prize. But you know, we as Christians, the crown that we win is incorruptible and will be forever. The crown that we win, the prizes that we win, will be around forever. 
It's also interesting what Paul is talking about when he talks about crowns. Because the crown is also people. We're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 24. We see these, these verses that are given to the Corinthian people about the mindset, having some right thinking. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, open it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want you to look a few verses up to verse number 22. Verse number 22, the Bible says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. What was the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that you, as a sinner, can be saved. Amen? You can be saved. If you're lost here today, you can be saved. Paul was fighting for the souls of lost men in order to take the gospel to them so that they could hear that Jesus loved them, died for them, rose again for them, and is waiting for you to call upon the name of the Lord so that you could be saved, and then he will prepare a home for you so that you could be in heaven forever with him. Paul in saying, here is the mentality that I'm running with. Here is the mentality that I hope that you run with. Here is the thing that we should be a temperate in all things in order to win the crown. And it's doing all of these things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of lost souls so that they could hear the gospel and be saved and go to heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19, Paul writes this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You know, the reward that I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven is to be able to see these lost souls that I was able to share the gospel with them and they believed the word of God and they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and they'll be in heaven with me one day. He said, I'm looking forward to that reward of one day being in heaven and seeing you all there. Philippians chapter 4, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You want to really know why the little things matter? The little things matter because it affects people. It might be the little thing of you going out on a Saturday morning and leaving an invitation with somebody that could change that person's life forever. It might be that moment when you're tempted at work to really just blow up in response to whatever's going on or what somebody said to you, but instead maintaining your testimony that a coworker might notice. And when you talk to them about the gospel, they say, you know what, this person's got something. I, I think I should hear them. You never know who might be saved. Because you paid attention to the little things. If we're going to grow, let's not underestimate the little things.